You are listening to episode number 130 of the Pioneering Today podcast, the ultimate seed starting guide, planning, starting, and mistakes to avoid to successfully grow your own food. Seed starting can be an excellent way to extend your harvest. And depending upon your location, in some instances, seed starting is the only way you're actually going to be able to grow and harvest certain crops. But not all seeds should be started. And if you have ever had your seedlings die, or you're wondering which seed should I be starting and when should I be starting them? How do I go about this? Do I really need to have a grow light? And what are the things that I need to know to make sure I don't put all of this work in and then my seedlings don't make it? This, my friend, is the episode for you. Welcome to today's episode with me, Melissa K. Norris, your host, where we help you raise, cook, and preserve your own food with old-fashioned wisdom and skill sets for a farm-to-table experience with or without the homestead. I am so happy to have you here. On this episode, I really want to dive into seed starting because at the time of this recording, we are in February, and that's when we have to start getting all of our things in line here to start the very beginning of our food production for the entire year. And that involves starting some of our seeds indoors so that we have our little transplants to put out into the garden when things warm up. So I'm going to be sharing the five mistakes that people make and what you need to know about seed starting in order to do it successfully so that you have the biggest harvest with the most ease that you can get. So a couple of important things, a little bit of housekeeping before we really dive into the meat of it, and that is... If you have heard any of my episodes before, and if you are a brand new listener, welcome. But if you've been with me for a while, you know that I talk frequently about my family's strain of heirloom green bean pole beans that my grandparents brought out with them from the Appalachia Mountains in the 1940s to where I live in the Pacific Northwest of Washington State. And my family has been seed saving this particular of heirloom bean seed for over five generations, over a hundred years. And it's not something that you will find in seed catalogs or on the store shelf if you go to the store and buy your garden seed. And I get tons of you asking how to get your hands on these seeds in order to get a starter packet of our heirloom seeds. I am giving them away for free as a bonus, meaning shipping is totally on me for anybody who joins the Pioneering Today Academy. The Pioneering Today Academy has been open for two years this March. And to celebrate that, I'm going to be doing something really special for all of my members. You're going to be getting a special package in the mail. And part of that package is for all of my current members. You are going to be getting, when you join, or if you're already a member, a packet of our heirloom green bean seeds. So that is a way to get your hands on these seeds. Plus within the academy, I have an entire course that teaches you how to seed save. So not only will you get these, but you'll also get all of our lessons on growing. We have an incomplete e-course within there on how to grow your own food. So you're going to get those lessons, but you're also going to get the seed saving lessons. 
because I want you to be successful in saving your own seed and have the ability to save these and then grow them again next year in your own garden or pass them on to others. So to find more information about joining, you can go to melissaknorris.com slash PTA for Pioneering Today Academy, but you'll want to hurry because I am going to be closing down enrollment, so you're not going to be able to enroll after February 24th, 2018, so that I can really focus on all of our members and take you through this series. So if you want to get in, you got to do so now because we're going to be shutting the doors for a while while we focus on everybody who is inside. Back to today's episode. So the first rule of gardening, and this is going to be in relation to your seed starting, everything that has to do with growing your own food, is you have to know thy first and last frost dates. Everything that you do with gardening and planting revolves around these dates. Now, it's important to note that even with knowing your gardening zone and your general rule of what your average first and last frost dates are, there are always microclimates within regions. So I'm going to give you an example. And if you don't know what your first and last average frost dates are, what your average frost dates are, I have got in the show notes of this podcast episode links for you to find all of this out. I've also got some pretty cool freebies you're going to want to check out. So to access all of those, you can go to melissakeynorris.com slash 130 because this is episode number 130. And you can always just go to the website, click on the podcast button and find all of our episodes that way. But for just super quick reference, it's melissakeynorris.com slash 130. So if I go according to the general data, when you punch in where you live to find out what your gardening zones are and your average frost dates, I'm in gardening zone 7B, and my average last frost date is April 29th, and the first average frost date is October 14th. Now that's generally true, but I happen to live up in the foothills of the North Cascade Mountain Range. We're right up in the mountains. And we have a little bit more extreme temperatures than what that actually says. So this means I can have frost sneak in sometimes as early as about mid-September, September 20th. And we know to never plant our warm weather plants out in the spring until at least May 20th or later. Most of the time we end up planting the full garden when the soil's warm enough and we're out of all danger of coolness. Memorial weekend. That's the end of May. So that's almost a complete four weeks after what they say our average last frost date is. So this is also going to depend upon the weather from year to year. So definitely get that data for your area if you don't happen to know what it is already. And again, the resources to find that out if you don't have it are going to be right in the show notes for you. But with that information of what the general data is going to pull for you, you want to talk to local gardeners, if you are not already gardening and don't already know this, who are in your area, find out when they plant. Find out when they have generally found to be the safest time and the best time to plant and see how that lines up. It's going to be within a few weeks of what the average frost dates are for your area. But find out from someone, you, if you have a local greenhouse, so not part of a greenhouse department of like a big box store where a lot of the plants they just order in, but an independent small local greenhouse where they're growing and starting everything right then and there. You can oftentimes ask them if you don't know anybody in your area who is gardening and growing their own food. 
Now, let's get to talking about our seed starting. Not all plants should be started early indoors. It is more work to start your plants indoors than using the direct sow method, which direct sowing means you are simply putting the seed directly in the ground in its permanent growing spot outdoors. That is the easiest way to go. But there are some instances and seeds that we're going to be talking about today where you do need to start them indoors and early. So the seeds or the plants that you start indoors are really going to depend upon your gardening zone and your window of warm weather crops. If you've got a really long growing period, if you're in a warmer or more southern part of the country, talking about the U.S., then you might be able to direct sow all of your plants because you have a really long growing season. But if you live in the more northern part of the country where I do, where I can't put those warm weather plants out until the end of May and then babies better be done by mid-September, I got about three and a half months there really. And to get an extended crop on certain plants, that is not long enough for me to put it. It won't grow fast enough to give me the maximum yield that I need from the crops. And specifically for me, I am referring to tomatoes and peppers. But let's talk about which seeds you should start early indoors and which ones you shouldn't. And I kind of just gave you a little preview there. But generally, the three crops that people are going to start indoors and the earliest are going to be onions. So if you don't want to purchase onion sets, which are the little bulbs, they look like little baby onions, and you'll find them out at seed stores, gardening stores, then you're going to want to start them from seed and make your own onion sets. And those actually have the longest period of time. And so those you're going to be starting indoors first. Next up is peppers and tomatoes. Your plants that you start indoors are ones that have a longer growing season before you get to harvest, like I went over. And generally speaking, your onions are going to be something that you plant. And this is how you discover when you plant it is by taking your first average frost date and you count backwards. So onions have the longest period and they are 10 to 16 weeks before your last average frost date that you're going to be planting them. Now, talking about freebies, you guys, I have all this laid out in a handy dandy little chart for you. All you got to do is, gr is grab it and you can get that in the resource section on today's episode. And I've got it all listed. So I have the plants listed on when you should start them indoors from your average frost date. Ones that do not do well started indoors because there are some plants that really do not do well transplanting and starting indoors and you should just plant them directly in the ground. And then I also have in there when you're going to plant them outside. So you've got your seedlings. When can you put these out? All revolving around that magical thing we keep talking about, which is your average frost dates. So it's a really great chart. You can grab that totally for free and that's going to help you plan all of this out because I am big on planning and having things laid out for me. So as I shared with your peppers and tomatoes, you're looking about four to eight weeks before your last average frost date that you want to start these indoors. Now, if you live where it's cooler like I do, I'm pretty north. I'm about, oh, an hour and a half maybe from the Canadian borders. I'm pretty north. We're pretty cold. I have a more limited gardening season. I do my peppers and tomatoes eight weeks before our average frost date. Now that we've kind of got that out of the way, let's talk about our seed starting mistakes. Okay, seed starting mistake number one is using the wrong soil. Young plants, they're just like infants. 
They're more susceptible to disease and getting sick. And if you use dirt that's just straight out of your garden or that's outdoors, your likelihood of introducing disease, bacteria, fungus, things that's already in the soil is much, much higher. And it's just like a baby that doesn't have an immune system developed yet. You know, we want to protect them from disease and things. Well, it's the same thing with your baby seedlings. Plus, now I have an outdoor, what I call an off-grid greenhouse. All greenhouses are outdoors, but it's an off-grid greenhouse. And what I mean by that is we have a greenhouse that does not have any heat in it. So no electricity. It doesn't have any heat source in it, but it is covered plastic. And that covered plastic will heat up and it also keeps the rain and that type of thing off of my tomatoes and my pepper plants so that it keeps them warmer in there just from the solar power from the sun. And it also keeps the rain off of it so that my blight issues go down nil to zero, which you really need if you live in a really wet climate like we do in the Pacific Northwest. So that means, though, that I have to start all of my plants still indoors. So I start mine inside where I can really control the temperature and it's warm and I can keep an eye on them. And it does not take a ton of room. I have a four foot grow light, meaning it is four feet long. And I'm able to start all of my peppers and all of my tomatoes and extra seeds as well under that one light. And I do between 18 to 20 tomato plants alone. And I start them all inside in just a corner of my living room. So you really can get away with not having a huge amount of space in order to do this. And again, the exact grow light and all of that stuff that I use, all of those links are for you in the show notes. Another problem with bringing in dirt from outdoors is you are also bringing in dirt that has insects and their eggs in the soil. And I'm doing this at the end of February, the beginning of March, the latest, and that means that I might be bringing in the soil and not seeing any bugs in there, but there's insect eggs in there. And when it, they come in the house and it's nice and toasty warm in here compared to outside, they hatch out. I do not want all them bugs and critter crawlies in my living room. Trust me, been there, done that. Just learn from my mistake, okay? Saving you, saving you a lot of extra work. Here's your solutions on making sure that you are using the right soil. And I've got several options for you. The first one is to purchase potting soil. So I will purchase organic only. That's just the way I roll. But I will purchase organic potting soil that has some good compost in there. It's already formulated. And this is the other thing. If you're just grabbing dirt right out of your garden, you want to make sure when it's in the pots or potting soil for our baby seedlings that it is a potting soil mix so that it's not retaining too much water, or on the other hand, that it's drying out too quick. So we want to make sure that it's just the perfect conditions for those little baby seedlings. So as I said, I will purchase organic potting soil. Costco usually has actually a large bag of organic potting soil, and a lot of times I'll get it there. That's been the best deal. I've gotten it from our local nursery before, and I've also ordered it offline, or I should say ordered it online <laughs> and had it shipped to me. But the great thing about that is it's got everything in there that you need. It's also been sterilized. And what I mean by sterilized is to make sure that there's no bacteria or disease or fungus or insects in their eggs, creepy crawlies, hanging out in there. Not sterilized to the point where it doesn't have nutrients to feed your plants. So there's a little bit of a difference there in what I mean. Your second option is you can take your dirt and you can put it on a baking sheet and you can bake it in the oven at 200 degrees until it reaches an internal temperature of 180 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm referencing Fahrenheit whenever I give degree temperatures. 
that's your at-home version, but I'm going to be honest, I don't really want to deal with a whole bunch of trays and trays of dirt in and out of my oven and doing all that. Now, a lot of the times, I am very, you're very frugal, do-it-yourself kind of homestead mama. This is one area where I'm just going to only need to buy one bag of potting soil a year, and I just go ahead and do it. Now, it's like, it, usually from Costco, I want to say it's about $15, and to me, it's worth it rather than try to go all those other routes for my time and it's once a year expense and I'm saving so much more money by starting my own seeds indoors rather than buying the little plant. And your third option, and this is going to do if you're doing it yourself and baking it, is you want to make sure that the soil mix that you're doing is an equal parts compost, topsoil, and sand. And again, you're still going to need to sterilize it, but that is your general ratio for making your own homemade potting mix. Okay. Seed starting mistake number two, your soil is too cold. When we're starting our seeds indoors and at home, we want them all to germinate. And germinate simply means when you start to see something poke out of that little seed and it begins to grow. That means you have successful germination that the seed is growing and it's turning into a plant. A lot of times, your, the soil is not warm enough. So for your warm weather crops, Generally speaking, that soil needs to be at least 60 degrees Fahrenheit or warmer. This is your minimum. 60 degrees is really your minimum to get your max germination rates, meaning almost all of the seeds are going to germinate and start to grow for you. This is true for outdoors as well. So we don't begin direct sowing our crops until those soil temps are at least 60 degrees or warmer. So it's true for outdoors, but it's true for indoors as well. General rule of thumb is you really want it to be between 60 to 70 degrees. Though hot peppers, so if you're wanting to grow some hot peppers, peppers really like it warmer. So you're going to want to try to get that soil temp even warmer around 75 to 80 degrees if at all possible for your best germination rates. And that's what we want. We want our best germination rates. We don't want to keep wasting seed and we don't want to lose the, you know, the days and the weeks in there waiting for these to germinate. And the germination rate varies a little bit on plant, but usually for me anywhere from three to seven days when I'm starting my seeds indoors, I will see things start to germinate, even my peppers. You can use a soil thermometer because you might be thinking, well, I don't know how warm my soil is. How am I supposed to know how warm my soil is when it's indoor? So I've got link for you again. Keep saying that in the show notes. Do a soil thermometer. And this one's really cool because it doesn't only measure your soil temperature, but it also helps you with your water and your pH levels of your soil. So it's like a three in one, which is way cool. But you can also do a general rule of thumb by going the temperature in your home. I personally don't use seedling mats or hot pads, and the temperature in our living room is usually between 65 to 70 degrees. It's cooler, of course, in the late evening, very early mornings, because we use a wood stove to heat our house, and we put, you know, put the fire down at night, and so it's going to naturally cool off. So that's why there's a bit of a, a variance there, but usually it doesn't drop below 65 degrees, at least not for very long. And then in the evening when we've got that fire rip-roaring, it's about 75 degrees. And I haven't had any problem getting my seeds to germinate when it's like that. But one quick tip I will give you is when my seeds are in the germination stage, I will put them next to the wood stove. So they get really, really warm and it helps that soil to warm up. Now, I have in-depth lessons, you guys, covering seed starting, what are the best containers, how to harden them off, and transplanting them, and my exact setup and how I do all of that within the lessons of the Pioneering Today Academy. So I highly encourage you to check that out. 
Seed starting mistake number three, not enough light. If your plants are leggy, meaning they are tall and spindly, they're not a bright, deep, dark green, they're kind of that paler color, and or they're leaning or reaching towards light, then that means they are not receiving enough light. So there are two options for growing your seedlings indoors for light. One is a sunny southern exposure windowsill, and the second is a grow light. Now, for most people, if you are living in a northern climate like I am, a sunny windowsill will not, will not provide enough hours of daylight for your plants. You need six to eight hours of direct sunlight for plants a day. And in the winter months and those shorter days, and we're usually super cloudy and rainy weeks up on end here, it is not enough light, even if it's in a southern exposure window. It's just not. But there's a difference if you're using artificial light or a grow light, which is what I use, then you're going to need to have that grow light on or that artificial light on there 16 to 18 hours a day. So what I do is I just turn my grow light on as soon as I get up in the morning and then I turn it off. It's the last thing that I turn off before I go to bed. And if I go to work during the day when I was working at my day job or if I have to leave, I just leave it on. And I have had the same grow light for four years, including the same bulb. And I have not noticed any significant change in our power bill. The closer we get to summer anyways, my power bill starts to go down. So um, December is at its highest, and then every month down after, it starts to go down. And I'm putting my grow light in, like I said, the end of February, and I run it for two months. And my light bulb continues excuse me, my light bill continually goes down. So does it raise the power sum? It is a light bulb, of course. Yes, you are using electricity. Is it a huge and noticeable? No, I have never noticed anything. If your plants are leggy, they are straining for more light and you need to deliver it as soon as possible to avoid weak stemmed plants that can and will break or not hold up very good when you go to plant them, which leads us right into mistake number four, and that's weak plants. Many people are going to start their seeds indoors, and when they go to plant them outside, they die. There's generally two reasons for this, and we're going to cover tip number five in just a moment, but the other reason that we're covering here is the plants are weak. They're not toughened up. In nature, when you've got plants outdoors, seedlings, they're going to have rain hitting them, right? Wind is blowing around on them. There's lots of movement. There's stress on the plant. And this is a good thing because it helps the stem and the become stronger. It builds it up. It builds that muscle of the stem. And the roots go deeper because when something is being moved back and forth on the top, it's got to put down deeper roots in order to stabilize the plant that's above the soil, right? This is what we see with trees. So it helps to develop a strong plant. It's just like when you and I are working out, if we're not straining our muscles or you know, using weights to lift or pushing against something that's hard, if we're not forcing them to work, they don't build up, they don't get stronger. Same thing with your plants. So what's the solution for this? How do we make sure that our plants aren't weak? You gotta mimic nature. One thing that you can do, and this is an easy fix, and a lot of people do this, is they can you put a fan on the plants periodically to mimic the wind. But I don't ever do this. One, I don't have an extra fan. I don't have a lot of extra space. It's something else that's plugged in. So I don't have to go this route. What I do instead is I just run my hand over the top of the plants and the leaves 
So this serves the same purpose as the fan, but without electricity and not having that appliance there. So whenever I walk by, whenever I turn on or off the plants, whenever I water the plants, I just run my hand over the top. So enough that they get moved back and forth. And I mean, not so rough that you're going to break them, right? But just, you know, kind of like if you're going by and you're ruffling a kid's head, do that to the top of your plants. Try to do it at least, you know, three, four times a day. Like I said, you got it easy when you turn off and turn it on and when you water them. And just if you walk by, just try and move, move your hand over the top of them. The sec third thing, not second, third thing here on mimicking nature is to use a spray bottle periodically to mimic rain to mist your plants. This is also going to help if you have low humidity in your area, and it means you don't have to water as often. I haven't experienced any negative effects doing this. I even do it with my tomato plants. And generally when we're talking about tomato plants, we don't want to do overhead watering because we don't want to introduce fungus and we don't want to introduce blight. But my tomatoes are indoors. I'm using sterile soil. And when I mist them and I mist the leaves, I'm making sure that they dry out before they would ever get watered again. So usually I'll do a misting. And this is after, I should tell say, this is after everything has germinated and they have their true leaves are starting to form that I do this. When you first have your plants or your seeds in, you do have to keep them moist at all times in order for them to germinate. You don't ever want them to dry out until you start to see your seeds sprouting up and growing. But after they are actually plants and you're doing the misting route, especially with your tomatoes, you want to make sure that the plants dry fully between any misting sessions as well as the top of the soil. So the top part of your soil, I mean, you don't want them to dry out completely, right? We want to keep things well watered, but you don't want them soggy and you don't want to keep that soil constantly saturated because you can get a little bit of a white mold fungus growing on top. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. That's actually what will happen when soil is in good humidity conditions. And you'll see white oftentimes like on leaves and on soil when it's beginning to compost and to break down. So if you see that develop, it usually means that the top of the soil has been kept a little bit too wet. Let it dry out a little bit more in between. And oftentimes I'll see this happen when I'm beginning to harden off, which means the plants have been indoors for about eight weeks. And as soon as I take them outdoors for the first part of their hardening off session, which we're going to get into that is mistake number five, dealing with hardening off. That will completely go away after only being outside for a short period of time because it has a breeze and the wind and the air movement. So don't be alarmed if you start to see that on the top of the soil. We don't want to see that, however, on the leaves or the plant itself. Seed starting mistake number five is not hardening off your seedlings. This is where I see a lot of people make a really big mistake they don't harden them off properly or for long enough. And then all of these plants that you've spent weeks, sometimes months, I spend months on mine. You've put in the diligent care every day, working with the grow light and making sure that they're watered and making sure that they're fed and everything's going good. And then they don't do a proper hardening off schedule and all of them die. And that's really disheartening. I mean, you've put some time in here and we don't ever want our time to be wasted. So this is one area that a lot of people see mistakes in, but it's so easily, easily remedied. Here's the deal. If you take your plants from the protective 
protected and controlled environment of indoors or in a greenhouse and you plop them outdoors, they're going to put them into shock and likely most of them are going to die or they're really going to struggle and they're not going to be healthy plants like we want them to be from the get-go. I mean, that's the reason we're doing seed starting, right, is we want to get a jump on our food production. So when you're hardening them off, you want to pick a sheltered spot outdoors. So when you're first, the first time you're bringing them outdoors to start this hardening off, and we're going to go over the seedling hardening off schedule in just a second, start somewhere that's not in direct hot sunlight and isn't out in the open if it's really windy or say it's raining really hard, you want to make sure that they're not set somewhere that they're going to be really exposed to the elements. I will use the first day that I'm setting ours out, I will put them on our back deck. This helps protect them from the wind because it's a covered back porch. So it helps protect them from the wind. It doesn't put them in direct sunlight because I've got the cover there. And then, of course, if it's pouring down rain, it's covered. They're not going to be getting the rain. So that's where I will start them off. Now, when it comes to your hardening off schedule, you need to begin hardening them off at least one week in advance before you go about planting them outside and transplanting them to their final resting spot. Or I should say their final growing spot. That sounds a little bit better. The seedling hardening off schedule is the first day you start in a protected area and you only do two hours the first day at max. They're only going to be outside for a short period of time and then you are bringing them right back in and putting them back in their spot. Over the next seven to 10 days, you're going to increase the time that they are outside each day by one to two hours. So the first day they're out there two hours, the next day they're only out there about three hours, four at max. If you, I recommend going as slow as possible. So if you can do that, do one hour the first day, two hours the second day, and you get, you get where we're going with this, right? The other thing that I do as well is I gradually move them into their final planting spot. So when we're first taking them outside for their first baby steps and their first couple hours outdoors, they're in that protected spot. And I keep them in that protected spot for about two to three days. Then as I'm increasing the time that they're outdoors, I'll start them in that protected spot. And then after, say, you know, three or four hours on that third or fourth day, the last couple of hours that they're going to be out there, I'll move them to their spot where I'm going to actually be planting them, which is our outdoor garden spot where all my things go in. Well, the tomatoes and the peppers go in the greenhouse. And so I'll move them over to that area. But if I'm doing any other starts like cucumbers or squash or lettuce, those are going to go directly out into our garden spot, which is direct sunlight, uh, gets all the rain on it. There's no protection from the rain. And it's a little bit sheltered just because it's at the it's at the west end of our house. So it has a little bit of shelter from the wind, but not much. Last half of their that daily schedule, I'll move them into that area. So the goal is by the last four days, so about halfway through this hardening off period, that the last four days of their hardening off schedule, they're going to be spending the full time in the plant planting spot, their permanent home, where they're going to be when they're gardening, growing in the garden. And that final day, so say day 10, I'll actually just leave them out overnight, still in their pots, and then I'll plant them the next morning. I hope that you have found all of these tips extremely helpful as you're wondering about starting your own seeds, or maybe you've started seeds inside before and had a little bit of trouble. So we've got the five tips there. And I'm really excited. I'm going to be doing a live 
online class. So it means you don't have to travel anywhere. You just got to have your computer connection there and you can watch it. And it's going to be Tuesday, February 20th. You can sign up. It's totally free. It's an hour class. And I'm going to be teaching you how to raise and grow enough food for a year. So I'm going to be walking you through all of the crops that we raise enough of that we're able to harvest and preserve for an entire year's worth of food that we never, ever have to buy from the store. So if you're curious about that, you want to see how it's done, it's going to be a full hour of teaching, and I would love to have you there. So to find out more about that, times and how to get your seat reserved and signed up, go to melissaknorris.com slash food webinar. And of course, in the show notes, as I've mentioned throughout the entire show, you can find a link to get signed up and join that live class too, which I said, it's going to be Tuesday, February 20th, 2018. On to our verse of the week. And as many of you know, I am reading through the Bible this year, started in January, and you're getting to take this little journey right along with me. We are in Exodus, and it's Exodus 12, 11. This is the Amplified Version translation of the Bible. And you shall eat it thus, as fully prepared for a journey, your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, this is a story in Exodus where the Israelites are in Egypt and they are getting ready. The last plague is hitting Egypt. Pharaoh hasn't let them go. And the firstborn are all killed. And so they have to mark their doorposts, if you're not familiar with the story, with the blood so that the angel of death passes over them and no one in their household dies. And so Mo the Lord is giving Moses the instructions to tell them on how to do this, and it's the first Passover. But I found two things striking about this passage. Is one, it kind of mimics or talks about from the New Testament when you look at putting on the full armor of God. Your loins are girded, we have our feet are shod, and your staff is in your hand. So the staff is not quite as having the sword, which is the word of the Lord, but there's a lot of similarities there. But the other thing that I thought was really interesting and really struck me, and which is why I wanted to share this verse with you, is they were to eat with their shoes on, their staff in hand, ready for the escape. So they were in full preparation and expectation. They had to act in total belief and readiness before God brought their deliverance and fulfilled his promise. They were to do all of this beforehand, before they really knew if Pharaoh would let him go, before the angel of death had come, before they were to start into their freedom and their escape from the slavery. God gave them the promise, but he said, you got to do all of this before it happens. And so part of me is looking at that and thinking about my own life and thinking, how many times have I not really acted in preparedness, totally trusting and faithful that God was going to do what he had promised? And I don't want to live like that. I want to believe that he is going to promise and do exactly what he has promised and to live in preparation and expectation to truly live in the belief that, yes, he is faithful and he's going to do what he said. So I want to thank you guys so much for joining me today. I am so grateful to be a part of your homesteading and pioneering today journey and to just be part of your story and thank you. And I would love to see you in the class. So I hope that you're able to join me and to sign up for that. And I hope that you got a lot of value out of today's episode. 
I know how valuable all of our time is, and I just want to let you know that I am always honored that you spend part of it with me. Hope to see you soon. Talk later.